Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and my co-host needs no introduction. Yes, I do. I'm Katie. Eh, I could just pull a Newell and delete this anyways. Newell! Anyways, let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 23, the Yule Ball, and the corresponding film scenes. Or as we like to call them, Harry Potter and the truly terrible formal wear. Hermione starts off her teen movie makeover with some dental work. Dobby has the best Christmas ever thanks to some spur-of-the-moment gifting. Draco's velvet robes and high collar make him look like a Prince music video extra. Ron's repugnant hand-me-downs have Pudma feeling like she definitely drew the short straw. Harry spends the majority of the night staring at Cho because he has exactly zero chill. Crumb shocks everyone with his choice of dance partner. Parvati ends up taking the lead when it comes to dancing with a clueless Harry. But while they may be more trouble than they're worth, teenagers still love balls. During episode 91, Shock Vulsion, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on how they changed the dress robes to look more like tuxedos and just blatantly put the girls in dresses rather than robes? Mike said, stupid. All changes are stupid. Juliana said she didn't mind the boys' outfits in the movie. It's kind of what she imagined in the book. However, the girls in those horrible dresses were not a great choice. She would have loved to see the costume team get super creative over how to make the girls' dress robes look amazing. And yes, Hermione is in periwinkle blue in the book, but they decided Emma looked better in pink. And she wishes her transformation would have been more exaggerated. Robert said, Hermione's dress is fucking blue, not pink. (laughs) Sarah said she actually didn't mind them all that much. She'd have rather the girls' dress robes would have been more robe-like, but they were still okay. She really liked the tuxy vibes coming from the guys' robes, but she thinks that made Ron's look too ridiculous by comparison. Quincy said some of the outfits were really cute, but still it was an unnecessary fucking change. And the thing is, it wasn't even just changed in Goblet of Fire. They started the change early on in the series, and it's fucking annoying. He feels like the wardrobe department really dropped the ball. No pun intended. I don't know, we've got him punning a lot now. I think that was pun intended. He is quite the punster nowadays. But he thinks they dropped the ball on that one because he can only imagine how amazing and extravagant the robes and dress robes could have been. I agree. Carly said that after re-watching, she thought it through and she doesn't really mind the girls wearing dresses. She does like that they integrate the girls' cultures into their outfits from the ones she saw anyways. The Pottle girls are wearing those beautiful saris and she loves that they were able to showcase that. They never really made robes a thing in the movies, 
like you don't really see anyone outside of Hogwarts wearing them, so she wasn't surprised when they set the girls up in dresses. As for the boys, she thought it was cute to have muggle traditions integrated to the wizard's wear for smart parties. Jackson said that there has been a number of times he has wanted to write angry emails to the costume department at Warner Brothers about the way they'd done clothing in these movies. The dress robes and ugly dresses in Goblet of Fire were just the tip of the iceberg. Most of the adult wizards are in suits or dresses when it's clearly stated that most don't know how to wear muggle clothing. Mm-hmm. We're saying. Claire said that as a costume designer herself, it felt lazy. Claire, I love to know that about you. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Right? The whole point of Harry Potter is to be transported to a different world and have a difference between muggles and wizards. They could have done it so much better. It's the same way that Roman togas were actually super colorful, but the white was what was on the marble statues after years of weathering, and it looked better on camera, so they kept them white. They just want it to be pretty for the viewers rather than have some fun in finding something attractive in the world. The suits in this film were better, but the Fantastic Beast franchise did it so dirty. She says she could rant about it forever. She's been waffling about actually designing costumes that would make more sense. An artist on Instagram, at Loquacious Literature, did an amazing job keeping it to the book and still looked amazing. I'm going to have to check those out. Right? We both are. Amanda said she actually really loves Cho's and Hermione's gowns in the movie. Though Hermione should have been periwinkle, obviously. The dress robes did still look more like robes to her than tuxedos, but they did have a tuxish flair. She thinks this was an okay decision. The fact that they were more often wearing muggle clothes or muggle-looking clothes in the movies didn't bother her that much. She doesn't feel like it took away from the story. Which is totally fair. Mm -hmm. It definitely didn't take away from the story. And of all of the dresses, I don't really have a complaint about Cho's. Well, maybe just that it was a little stereotypical? Mm-hmm. I just don't like the ruffles on Hermione's, and I thought it wasn't very flattering for a girl her age. Yeah, Cho's did feel a little stereotypical, but for the most part, I mean, it was a cute dress. At least it wasn't orange and pink. Yeah. So, there's that. <laughs> and Hermione's, I just didn't like Hermione's dress at all. Like, the ruffles, the neckline, all of it. It was just all bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of ruffles in general, and I don't like the sweetheart cut on people that are not yet developed. I think it looks inappropriate. Yeah, I can see that, definitely. I just didn't like the dress as an entire entity, really. <laughs> anyway, thanks for your fantastic responses. Y'all had a lot to say this week, and I love it. Mm-hmm. But guess what? What? I finally made it out to T-Mobile and officially got our phone number set up with a phone. Thanks to our support badger, Carly, for selling me her old phone cheap. Woohoo! So our Potter Pondering for this episode can still be answered on Facebook, but if you call our phone number and leave us your response to the pottering as a voicemail, we may be able to put that clip into next week's episode. Ooh, how fun. Some of our keepers have some excellent rants, and as much as I love reading them, and I do, I can't wait to hear them from their own voices. Yeah, I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. You can also call or text our number with your own potterings or other questions, and we'll check those messages a couple times a week. 
We will start posting the number on social media and in the episode descriptions. So that's how you'll find it. Yay! Our trivia question last week was, where exactly is the prefect's bathroom? Cedric lets Harry know that it is the fourth door to the left of the statue of Boris the Bewildered on the fifth floor. Congratulations goes to Sammy Adams. What? That's not Mike's name. It's not. But with the help of her son, August, she was able to be the first one to answer it, finally breaking Mike's streak, which puts the new record to beat at 11 weeks straight. Ooh, maybe Sammy will be the one to beat that record. Or maybe Max or Quincy will decide they need to throw their hats back in the ring. I don't know. Quincy says he's retired. He's retired. Mm. <laughs> I guess we'll see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 23, The Yule Ball and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 23, The Yule Ball, Part 2. Harry sits down next to Ron and opens a butterbeer, asking him how it's going. Ron doesn't answer, too busy glaring at Hermione and Crumb dancing nearby. Padma is sitting with her arms and legs crossed, jiggling her foot in time to the music and occasionally throwing a disgruntled look at Ron, who is completely ignoring her as well. Parvati sits down and crosses her arms too, and within minutes is asked to dance by a boy from Beaubaton's. She asks if Harry minds, and he gives a very distracted what, as he watches Cedric and Cho. Parvati says never mind and goes with the boy, and when the song ends, she doesn't return. Hermione comes over and sits in Parvati's empty chair, commenting on how hot it is and saying that Victor's gone to get some drinks. Ron wants to know if he hasn't asked her to call him Vicky yet, and Hermione wonders what's up with him. Ron informs her that he's from Durmstrang, competing against Harry, and she's fraternizing with the enemy. Hermione's mouth drops open, and she tells him not to be so stupid, reminding him that he wanted Crumb's autograph and has a model of him in his dormitory. Ron ignores this and says that he supposes he asked her in the library, and Hermione blushes a bright pink and admits that he'd been coming to the library to work up the courage to talk to her. Ron says, yeah, well, that's his story. And when Hermione wants to know what that's supposed to mean, he insists that Crumb is Karkaroff's student and is just trying to get closer to Harry. Hermione informs Ron that Victor hasn't asked her a thing about Harry, so Ron decides that he must be hoping she will help him figure out his egg. This outrages Hermione, who tells them that she'd never help him and she wants Harry to win, but Ron says she has a funny way of showing it. She tries to remind him that the tournament is about making friends with foreign wizards, and Ron shouts that it's about winning. Harry tries to interrupt to say he doesn't mind that Hermione is there with Victor, but Ron ignores him and tells her to go find Vicky. She tells him not to call him Vicky and storms off. As Ron watches her walk away, Padma asks if he's going to ask her to dance at all. He snaps no, and she gets up to leave joining her sister and the Bobaton's boy, who immediately finds a friend for her. Crumb arrives at their table looking for Hermione, and when Ron says he has no idea where she is, he asks him to let her know he has drinks if they see her and leaves. Percy shows up and pompously comments on Ron making friends with Victor Crumb, and the whole point of the tournament being international magical cooperation. He sits down with Harry and Ron and they watch the people on the dance floor. 
As the song ends, Fred and George approach Ludo Bagman, causing Percy to criticize them for annoying senior ministry members. Bagman, however, shakes the twins off fairly fast and heads over to Harry's table to say hi. Percy immediately says that he hopes his brothers weren't bothering him and then looks displeased when Bagman tells him that they were just talking about their fake wands and that he promised to put them in touch with a couple of contacts he has at Zonko's. Bagman then starts to ask Harry a question, but is diverted when Percy asks him how he feels the tournament is going. Bagman says it's been enormous fun and asks after Barty. As the two ministry members begin talking shop, Harry and Ron pretend they want more drinks to sneak away and go for a walk. They head out to the entrance hall and through the open front doors into the fairy light-filled rose garden. After a short way, they overhear an unpleasantly familiar voice and realize that Snape is talking to Professor Karkaroff about something concerning. Snape tells Karkaroff to flee, but he's going to be staying at Hogwarts. They turn the corner and the potions master blasts a bush apart, causing a couple of figures to emerge from it. He takes points away from Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw as the two students run off, and then notices Harry and Ron, wondering what they are doing. Ron informs him that they are walking, and Snape snarls for them to keep walking. They do, wondering what has Karkaroff all worried, and since when he and Snape had been on first-named terms. Reaching a large stone reindeer, they see the outlines of two large figures and overhear Hagrid speak. He's telling Madame Maxime that the moment he saw her, he knew. Not wanting to overhear, they freeze. But when Harry gestures for them to go a different direction, they see Fleur and Roger Davies in a nearby rosebush, and Ron refuses to go that way. Harry focuses his attention on a beetle crawling along the reindeer statue, but they still hear Madame Maxime ask Hagrid what he knows, and Hagrid responds that she's just like him. He asks if it was her mother or father, and as Maxime insists that she doesn't know what he means, he continues talking, explaining that it was his mother, one of the last ones in Britain, though he doesn't remember her well because she left when he was three. Madame Maxime doesn't say anything, and Harry looks away from the beetle, curious, because he has never heard Hagrid talk about his childhood. He listens as Hagrid continues to explain that his dad was broken-hearted when she left and called him a tiny little bloke, saying that by the time he was six, he could pick him up and put him on the dresser if he annoyed him. His dad raised him, but died just after he started school, so he had to make his own way, though Dumbledore was a real help. He then says enough about him and asks which side she has it on. In response, Madame Maxime gets to her feet, says that it's chilly, and Harry notes that the weather is nowhere near as cold as her voice. Hagrid protests, claiming that he's never met another one before, and Maxime icily asks another what. Hagrid exclaims, another half-giant and a very insulted Madame Maxime insists that she just has big bones before storming away. Hagrid sits for a moment, staring after her, then gets up and walks away towards his cabin. Harry gestures for Ron and him to leave too, but Ron just stands there motionless, before asking Harry if he knew that Hagrid was half-giant. Harry says no, so what? 
then realizes by the look on Ron's face that he's showing his ignorance of the wizarding world again. Ron says he'll explain inside, and the two return to the Great Hall. Parvati and Padma are now sitting with a whole crowd of Bobaton boys, and Hermione and Victor are dancing again. Harry and Ron sit down, far from the dance floor, and Ron tries to explain how the wizarding world views giants, and mentions that he just thought Hagrid had got in the way of a bad engorgement charm as a kid or something. Harry wonders why it matters if his mother was a giantess, and Ron tells him that no one who knows will care, because they know he isn't dangerous, but otherwise giants are vicious and just enjoy killing, though there aren't any left in Britain. Many were dying out, and loads were killed by Aurors. There are still supposed to be giants abroad hiding in the mountains. Harry says he doesn't know who Maxime thinks she's kidding. If Hagrid is half-giant, she definitely is. They spend the rest of the ball discussing giants, with Harry trying to not watch Cedric and Cho. The Weird Sisters end their set at midnight, and everyone starts making their way towards the entrance hall. Out in the hall, Harry sees Hermione saying goodnight to Crumb before sweeping past them and giving Ron a very cold look. The two boys turn to follow her, but Harry is stopped by Cedric Diggory, calling his name. Harry coldly responds, and Cedric waits until Ron walks off, before talking to Harry about the golden egg. When Harry confirms that his egg also wails when he opens it, Cedric advises him to take a bath and mull things over in the hot water. He suggests that Harry uses the prefect's bathroom, which is the fourth door to the left of the statue of Boris the Bewildered on the fifth floor, and the password is Pine Fresh. He grins and says he's gotta go, so he can say goodnight and hurries off. Harry walks back to the Gryffindor Tower alone, wondering about the extremely strange advice that Cedric gave him. He has to yell the password at the fat lady who's snoozing in her picture with her friend Violet. When he climbs into the common room, he finds Ron and Hermione screaming at each other from ten feet apart. Hermione is yelling that if he doesn't like it, the solution is to ask her to the ball before someone else does, and not as a last resort. Ron can't think of a response, and she whirls around and storms up the girl's staircase to bed. Looking thunderstruck, he sputters that she completely missed the point, and Harry just keeps his mouth shut, because he liked being back on speaking terms with Ron, but felt that Hermione had gotten the point much better than Ron had. The movie scene starts out with a rock and roll yell of, Are you ready? The scene transitions to the students on the dance floor in more of a mosh pit, with a screaming audience and crowd-surfing Professor Flitwick. As everyone is on the dance floor having a great time, Harry, Ron, Parvati, and Padma are sitting in chairs behind the dance floor, sullenly watching. Ron is focused on Hermione dancing with Crumb and calls him a ruddy pumpkinhead. Harry says that he doesn't think it was the books that had him going to the library, and Parvati and Padma exchange a gloomy look. A boy from Durmstrang approaches Parvati, asking her to dance, and she gladly bolts, leaving behind an oblivious Ron and Harry and a disappointed sister. The song ends and Crumb and Hermione make their way off the dance floor towards Harry and Ron. Crumb kisses Hermione's hand and walks away, leaving a smitten Hermione to say hi to her less than enthusiastic friends. She sits down next to them, commenting on how hot it is, saying Victor's gone to go get drinks and inviting them to join. Ron bitterly informs her that they would not care to join her and Victor. Hermione asks what's gotten his wand in a knot, 
and Ron responds that he's a Durmstrang, and she's fraternizing with the enemy. She retorts that he was the one who wanted his autograph, and comments that the whole point of the tournament is international magical cooperation, to make friends. And Ron says that Crumb's got a bit more than friendship on his mind. Harry gives Ron a what-are-you-talking-about look, and Hermione gets up to walk away. She turns back and hesitates, but decides not to say anything and just leaves. Padma asks Ron if he's going to ask her to dance or not, and when he says no, she also gets up and walks away. The scene cuts to the end of the dance with only a small group of people still on the dance floor and a few others around the Great Hall. Ron and Hermione are arguing as they walk towards the doors. Ron insists that Crumb is using her and that he's too old, causing an outraged Hermione to insist that she can take care of herself and express her shock that that's what he thinks. She's teary as she tells him that the solution is to ask her before someone else does, and not as a last resort. As Ron stammers that she missed the point, a very distracted Harry walks up and Hermione rounds on him to ask where he's been, and without waiting for an answer, orders them both off to bed. With her back to them, she wipes away a tear, and when she hears Ron declare that they get scarier when they get older, she turns and tells him that he spoiled everything. The two boys hurry up the stairs and Hermione sits, takes off her shoes, and cries. The scene cuts back to the last few couples on the dance floor, focusing on Neville and Ginny, then Hagrid and Madame Maxime, who has to shift Hagrid's wandering hand back up to her back. The chapter and movie section line up fairly well. Mm -hmm. However, the movie definitely leaves out quite a bit of the book chapter. Which... I mean, is is not shocking, like, at all. No. But to be fair, they did include part of this book chapter earlier, as we previously mentioned. So, we will be going into more detail about how differently they did that part as well. There are also a couple of deleted scenes, one of which was actually a reference to something that happened in the book. I'm glad you said reference, because it was definitely different than how the book had it. Shock. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of condensed two scenes together. Mm -hmm. But this half of the book chapter picks up on Ron, who's looking bitterly at Hermione and Crumb dancing, when Harry, having just refused to dance with Parvati on a fast song, comes to sit next to him. Harry opens a butterbeer and asks him how's it going, and Ron just ignores him, just as he's ignoring Padma, who's sitting next to him with her arms crossed and jiggling her leg to the music. They're the worst dates ever. Holy. Oh, oh my so god. So shitty. I feel so bad for them. I know. Ugh, poor girls. Parvati sits at the table, crossing her arms as well, and shortly after, a boy from Bobatons asks her to dance. Which did not happen in the movie because there are no boys at Bobaton. Parvati asks Harry if he minds, but he's so distracted watching Cedric and Cho that he's just like, what? Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> she just says, never mind, and goes to dance with the boy. Then doesn't return when the song ends. Can't blame her. I would not either. No way in hell would I go back to that. Like so, still sitting here, huh? Yep. Okay, cool. Nah. <laughs> no. Nope. I'm good. Checking out. This is actually sort of similar to how the movie starts. So, yay. Yay. With a rock and roll yell of, are you ready? Do you like my rock and roll yell? I loved it. Thanks. I missed my true calling, obviously. Clearly. <laughs> the scene transitions to the students on the dance floor in a more of a mosh pit type of deal, 
with a screaming audience and a crowd-surfing Professor Flitwick. Despite the fact that a crowd-surfing nearly headless Nick would have been so much better. Especially since they could have been, like, batting his head around. Right? That's what well, I'm saying. I mean, not really, because it was still attached. Well, it but, could have been, like, lolling. Yeah. But, like, you just, like, bat his head as he passes by. Yeah. It'd be fun. Like a beach ball? Yeah. Like they do at, like, festivals? Yeah. <laughs> In which case, Sir Properly Decapitated Podmore would probably be best. Well, yes. But. True. Anyway. Facts. But as everyone is having a blast doing their best impressions of Beatles fangirls in the 60s and loving life, Harry, Ron, Parvati, and Padma are sitting in chairs behind the dance floor, looking like they all just watched an informative video about how head cheese and hot dogs are made. Yeah, it's gross. Ron is obsessed with Hermione and Crumb dancing and takes the classy approach, calling him a ruddy pumpkin head. Yet again, sick burn guy. Harry implies that Victor doesn't even know how to read. I don't think Harry thought he was illiterate. No, I'm I'm saying Victor was checking out something in the library, but it wasn't the books. Oh, it wasn't the library stacks he was looking to get into. Uh Uh-huh, he was hoping to check out her restricted section. Okay, doesn't know how to read. I get it now. Yeah, okay. Anyway... Parvati and Padma exchanged a pained look over their super pathetic dates. Yeah, it is a very similar setup between the two, with the four of them basically being the only ones that aren't dancing. Mm -hmm. Though the book has Ron ignoring everyone to glower about Hermione and Crumb, in the movie mostly just has him ignoring his dates. Poor Padma. She really did not deserve that. No. Like, not at all. Also, in the movie, a boy from Durmstrang, which, in regards to the movie, is a redundant phrase, really. Not to mention that in the book, the boy was from Bobatons. <laughs> That's silly. Everybody knows that Bobatons is an all-girl school. That's not how it happened in the book. But this is how it happened in the movie. Mm-hmm. The boy asks for Parvati's arm, and she enthusiastically agrees. Arm, leg, I'm yours. <laughs> Let's just hope he isn't actually, like, a cannibal. Yeah, that's a different kind of party. Although I'm pretty sure I'd rather be stuck with the downer party over the weird little pity party Harry and Ron were throwing, so... Eh, It's a toss-up. Hormonal boys, cannibals... Yeah, it's a tough call. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather? (laughs) (laughs) Padma enviously watches her sister ditch her before sighing and throwing a contemptuous glance at her oblivious date. I use that term very loosely. There were air quotes involved. There were. (laughs) The song ends as Crumb and Hermione make their way off the dance floor towards Harry and Ron. You know, because it's a dance. Let's hang out with our friends. Right? Oh, wait. Our friends suck. Yeah. (laughs) Crumb kisses Hermione's hand and walks away. Leaving a Twitter-pated Hermione to say hi to the real life of the party at a nearby table. She sits down next to Harry, commenting on how hot it is, saying Victor's gone to go and get drinks, and inviting them to join. Hermione also joins Ron and Harry in the book, too, taking Parvati's empty chair, and remarking how hot it is, saying that Victor's getting them drinks. Almost word for word. Almost. Ron asks if he's asked Hermione to call him Vicky yet. And Hermione's like, what the fuck 
is wrong with you? <laughs> we ask that a lot in this book about Ron, <laughs> right? don't we? <laughs> this section especially. Yeah. He tells her that Victor is from Durmstrang. He's Harry's competition and she's fraternizing with the enemy. Sort of similar in the movie. Ron bitterly informs her that they would not care to join her and Victor. Because we're busy being moody assholes. Hermione asks what's gotten his wand in a knot, which is really one of my favorite phrases in this book. (laughs) It is pretty great. Not even going to (laughs) lie. But then Ron goes on to accuse her of espionage. She retorts that he was Victor's fanboy just a few months ago, so he really has no room to say shit. Not even a few months ago. Like, last week. Yeah. Last week you wanted his autograph. (laughs) Yeah. Dude. Like, come on. You play with his doll. Or wait, is it an action figure? That just feels like a distinction that Ron would make. It's an action figure. Probably. You know? But anyway, she adds on that the whole point of the tournament is international magical cooperation to make friends. And Ron mirrors Harry's earlier statement, implying that Crumb doesn't even know how to read. If you, you know, catch my drift. (laughs) I do this time. (laughs) Doesn't know how to read. See, we're on the same page. Isn't that great? You made another book pun. I did. I hate myself, but at the same no, time, no, I'm a little No, no, you hate yourself. Proud. Oh. <laughs> it's only okay when I make the puns, Ellen. Nope. We both make the puns. <laughs> we both love the puns. No, that's... I will die on that hill. No. <laughs> anyway, in the book, Hermione is rightfully irritated and tells Ron to not be stupid. Also points out that you just wanted his autograph. And you have that little model of him, that action figure. It's an action figure. Ron ignores what she says and says Crumb must have asked her in the library. Because he doesn't know how to read. Right? (laughs) Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hermione blushes a bright pink and says that he did. He'd been coming to the library to check her out. To Mm -hmm. muster up the nerve to talk to her. (laughs) Because he thought she was fine. Mm Mm-hmm. I hate you. (laughs) Ron's like, sure, that's his story. And reminds her that he's Karkaroff's student and is probably just trying to get closer to Harry. Hermione tells Ron that Victor hasn't said a thing about Harry. So instead, Ron's like, well, he probably just wants you to help him figure out his egg. Obviously, he's only interested in her because he doesn't know how to read. (laughs) He's hoping she reads to him. Mm -hmm. So he can touch himself. (laughs) Anywho, Hermione is indignant and tells Ron that she wouldn't help him because she wants Harry to win. And Ron's like, well, you got a strange way of showing it. She tells him that the whole point of the tournament is to encourage foreign wizarding friendships. So it's basically what they say in the movie. Like, Mm -hmm. it's there. This is similar. And Ron just yells that it's about winning. (laughs) (laughs) He would. Harry tries to insist that he's fine with Hermione being at the ball with Crumb, but Ron ignores him and tells Hermione to go find Vicky. That's such a stupid nickname. I'm sorry. Again, sick burn. Sick burn, guy. Jesus. Hermione crossly tells Ron not to call him Vicky and leaves in a huff. Padma asks Ron if he's going to ask her to dance, and when he snaps a no at her... She joins Parvati and the boy from Bobatons, who quickly finds her a dance partner. 
See, that's how a sister is supposed to act. Right? <laughs> the movie? Slightly different. I know we're all shocked. But mostly just because there are less details. Harry kind of gives Ron a what-the-fuck look, and Hermione gets up to walk away. She stops and turns back momentarily, but decides not to say anything and just leaves. Mm, probably the right call. Right. Really. Pudma takes this hella awkward moment to ask Ron if they're going to dance or not, and when he says no, she also gets up and walks away. Kudos to you, Pudma. I'd have bolted the second the smell of those robes hit me. Poor kid probably threw up in her mouth a bit. You don't like mothballs, huh? Not a fan. (laughs) But yeah, she really stuck that out longer than I think a lot of people would have. And like you said before, she did not deserve that. Nope. The movie did not show her finding her own Bobaton boy, obviously because, you know, there weren't any. (laughs) But they also didn't show that she got herself a Durmstrang. But I like to figure that she did. Yeah. In my head canon, she got herself a boy that deserves her. Yeah, I like to think so, too. Mm -hmm. At this point, the book has some extra details that were not included in the film. (gasps) Shocking, I know. (laughs) That gasp was super sincere. Mm -hmm. Very much. Crumb comes over to their table looking for Hermione, looking for Hermoninny. (laughs) And Ron tells him that he doesn't know where she is. So Crumb's just like, well, tell her I have drinks if you see her. I have drinks. And then he leaves. That's definitely one thing about the movie is I wish we could have heard Victor say Hermonini. Right? <laughs> I missed that. I was really hoping to like hear it in his cute little accent. Yeah. Boo. Boo. Newall. Newall. Anyway, Percy shows up a moment later, snobbishly remarking on Ron making friends with Victor Crumb and saying that the whole point of the Triwizard Tournament is to promote international magical cooperation. Where have I heard that before? Did Hermione just say that? I think Hermione just said that. In both the book and the movie. That's... What? What? Wait. Hold on. No, keep going. (laughs) To Harry's disappointment, Percy then sits down with them. And the three of them observe the people dancing. The song that's playing ends. And they see Fred and George approach Ludo Bagman, which makes Percy criticize them for annoying a senior ministry member. But Bagman's able to make a quick getaway... And heads right over to Harry to say hi to him. Bagman. Bagman. James Corden. Ah, yes. This definitely didn't happen in the movie. Since, you know, we got completely bilked out of Ludo Bagman. Completely. Mm-hmm. Percy apologizes to him for his brothers and says he hopes they didn't bother him. Then he's completely annoyed when Bagman's like, Oh, they were just talking to me about their fake wands. I'm going to put him in touch with a contact of mine from Zonko's. And you know that Percy was just like, I'm going to go tell my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Bagman then turns to Harry and begins to ask him a question, but is interrupted by Percy, who wants to know how he feels about the tournament. How's it going? Percy really is like the permanent just third wheel, isn't he? Yeah, I love Chris Rankin's theory about it, actually. He thinks that Percy Weasley is autistic Mm -hmm. and just kind of socially awkward because of that yeah makes a lot of sense it makes tons of sense and i love percy as a character don't get me wrong but it's just i feel so awkward (laughs) when he's in a scene you know what i mean he is awkward i wish we could have seen more of that actually i agree very much so anyway so bagman tells him that the tournament has been enormous fun so far and then asks how barty crouch is doing 
Ron and Harry use this opportunity to sneak away, pretending they want more drinks because they're like, oh, they're totally talking about things we don't care about <laughs> at all. So I'm thirsty. Are you thirsty? Let's go get some more beverages. Mmm, I sure am parched. Right. <laughs> As mentioned, none of this happened in the movie, though one of the deleted scenes would have occurred actually before all this happened. So we're going to go ahead and bring it up here. It's an extended scene of the Weird Sisters performance. Flitwick emerges from a wall of smoke slash vapor, I'm not quite sure what it was, with a weird megaphone on a stick. He then introduces the band that needs no introduction, just for that sousson of irony yes. right there. Mm -hmm. He then points his wand at a crazy-ass spotlight contraption, which turns on to illuminate the band on stage. They're standing in front of a wall of large megaphones and playing multi-necked guitars, a drum kit with clear cymbals, a standing electric bass, a keyboard made of brass instruments, and of course, bagpipes. I mean, it is Scotland after all. Right. Yeah. But is it really supposed to be the Weird Sisters since they never actually say it in the film? Well, they don't call the band the Weird Sisters because of apparently a legal dispute with a Canadian folk band called the Weird Sisters, spelled W-Y-R-D. Well, that's stupid because it's not even spelled the same. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but no one who looks at the word word is going to think it's pronounced weird unless they pronounce weird wordly. Well done. <laughs> also, if we're going to start the topic of who ripped off who, I think Shakespeare would have something to say about all of this. Touche. But, I mean, then we'd have to bring Raphael Hollinshead into this, and I just don't have time for that tangent. Moving on. Moving on. They perform the song, Can You Dance Like a Hippogriff? Na 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 na. <laughs> <laughs> While the students mosh and dance around the stage in a display of surprisingly well-mannered frivolity. And I would rather have had this than six hours of a fucking dragon chase. Well, the dragon chase had more action. But this is more entertaining. I mean, I would rather they concluded some of the five chapters they left out. Fair point. There is that. I can see why they didn't ultimately end up including this scene. And I'm not really bothered by it since that's not how it happened in the book. Fair. Because they had Flitwick start off the band. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even the Wired Sisters or the Weird Sisters. <laughs> it was just instrumental music. And then he introduced them. Whereas the book was just Bam Weird Sisters. Yeah. So it was different. I'm okay with it being left out because we didn't need all of that extra stuff. I just liked the concert aspect of oh, yeah, it it, was it just felt fun to me like yes granted i feel very much like you where i would have rather had you know maybe any of the chapters they left out <laughs> some of those extra details yeah but i'm just saying it was already filmed <laughs> it was already there true and i think that had they included it it would have been fun at least we get to see it on deleted scenes. Mm -hmm. But I also think it would have made me a little more salty with everything else that was left out. I'm like, really? You gave us a concert and you couldn't give us more details about what's coming up next? Okay, then. That is true. I will give you that. So Ron and Harry escape Percy and Bagman and they walk out through the open front doors into a rose garden that's not normally there, filled with fairy lights, 
which just sounds so pretty. So romantical. A little way in, they hear the sour and familiar voice of Snape talking to Professor Karkaroff. Snape's telling him to flee, but says he's going to be staying at Hogwarts. Hmm. Interesting development here. Well, well, well. When they round the corner, Snape blasts apart a nearby bush, taking points away from Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw as two figures run off. He then notices Harry and Ron and asks what they're doing. When Ron tells him that they're just walking, that's not illegal, is it? <laughs> the potions master growls at them to just keep walking. They continue on wondering why Karkaroff is so worried and why he and Snape are on first name terms. And how did Snape get the job of world's biggest cock block? I mean, if he can't have any, no one else can. Very true. <laughs> so the second deleted scene is a bit similar to this part of the book chapter. It starts with Harry walking out into the courtyard, theoretically for some fresh air. The courtyard is covered in snow and is being used as a parking lot for carriages, though the reason for the carriages is unknown since all the attendants were students, and why would they need a carriage? Maybe carriages for the band? No idea. Not important. The first thing Harry sees is a couple getting gropey in what may be the most conspicuous hiding place ever, since they are literally the first thing you see outside of the doors. Like, get a broom cupboard, you two! Now! <laughs> They give Harry the signal to keep it moving, and Harry makes his way past them into the snow. As he walks past the first carriage, he notices it rocking back and forth. So clearly the carriages were there so the students could get it on. If the carriage is a rockin', don't come a-knockin'. You know, Robert's right. They could really use a sex ed program. Most schools could. Just saying. No glove, no love, y'all. Although, I have to say, carriages is probably better than rose bushes, because that shit just sounds dangerous. You're going to get poked by something, but it might not be what you want. A little bit prickly. Yeah. You know I'm saying. <laughs> so Harry, being the snooper that he is, glances through the window and gets a glimpse of a dude he would rather not see any more of. So he keeps walking into the hallway. He hears the not-so-inconspicuous voice of Igor Karkaroff and hides behind a pillar to drop some eaves. Like he does. Mm-hmm. What time is it, Ellen? It's metal time! <laughs> Karkaroff and Snape are in a heated discussion about something happening again that Snape has no wish to discuss. Hmm, that sounds familiar. During the conversation, Snape is cutting between carriages to catch the copious caches of canoodling coeds concealed confidentially. Crikey! Karkaroff insists that the signs cannot be ignored and demands that Snape show his arm. Snape twirls around, keeping his left arm out of reach, and calmly tells Karkaroff that he has nothing to be scared of asking if he can say the same thing. Karkaroff shits himself a bit and runs away to change his pants. Luckily, he was wearing his brown pants. Thank God. But he had the white coat on, so that could have been really bad. Could have. Mm-hmm. Harry watches Snape walk in the opposite direction when he sees Mad-Eye Moody lurking in the shadows at the opposite end of the courtyard, then walking away as well. This deleted scene basically combines the brief conversation that Harry and Ron overhear between Snape and Karkaroff with a scene later on where Harry hangs around after potions class to drop some eaves on the two professors then, which we'll talk more about when we get to that point because there is a scene that also does relate to that later on in the movie. Mm -hmm. But it still kind of ties all of this together. It's, it's weird. Mm -hmm. 
I am actually a little disappointed that this particular scene was cut from the movie, though. Yeah, it built up a bit of suspense. Plus, it explains why Harry was off on his own later on in the scene, which we'll get to. Mm -hmm. So now we're at the part of the book chapter that was technically included earlier in the movie, though with a completely different tone. Harry and Ron reach a giant stone reindeer and notice two large silhouetted figures. They recognize Hagrid's voice talking to Madame Maxime. He's telling her that he knew from the moment he saw her, and Ron and Harry freeze, because this is not a conversation they want to overhear. Mm-hmm. Harry points to a different direction to head in, but when they see Fleur and Roger Davies in a rosebush getting their prick on, <laughs> Ron refused to walk in that direction. He's just like, I'm not going anywhere near her. I'm still mortified. She might see me. I don't think she's going to see you right now. She's all busy. But he refuses to walk that way. She's got some stuff going on. Guy. Yeah. But yeah, this is basically the scene from earlier where Madame Maxime consumes Hagrid's beard snacks. But it's definitely different. For one thing, the movie had them walking through a corridor, not outside. And for another, it was not during the Yule Ball. And those are just the basic differences. Mm -hmm. They also aren't overheard by Harry and Ron. And as we mentioned before, the tone is completely different. Mm -hmm. In the book... Harry turns his focus on a beetle that is crawling on the reindeer statue to try and keep from overhearing, but they still hear Madame Maxime ask Hagrid what he knew. And Hagrid's like, that you're like me. Huh? He asks her if it was her mother or father, but she says she doesn't know what he means. Huh? So Hagrid tells her that it was his mother. She was one of the last in Britain, but she left when he was three and he doesn't remember her well. So this part of the conversation is a bit similar. Aside from the fact that book Maxime is playing dumb and movie Maxime was playing it a bit more coy. It goes beyond dumb in the book, too, because Madame Maxime is also upset. Mm -hmm. She says nothing in response and Harry loses focus on the beetle because this is the first time he's ever heard Hagrid mention his childhood at all. So he's just like, I must drop eaves. Yes. Time to meddle. You called? I'm surprised it took him that long. Somebody projected the metal symbol up in the <laughs> sky. <laughs> bat balls. <laughs> -na 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 -na, bat balls. He listens intently as Hagrid tells her that his dad, a tiny little bloke that when he was just six years old, he could pick him up and put him on the dresser when he annoyed him, <laughs> was brokenhearted when she left. He tells her that he died just after he started at Hogwarts and that he had to make his own way, but that Dumbledore helped him greatly. Aww. He then tries to turn the conversation back to Madame Maxime and asks again which side she has it on. Huh? Again, the movie used some aspects of this conversation because he does mention his dad was tiny and that he died and whatnot. And the whole dresser thing. Yeah, and the dresser thing, too. He also did turn the conversation towards Maxime after finishing his story. But he never blatantly asked her which side she has it on. It also cut the film scene right after he asked about her, so... Yeah, and the book chapter did not end the conversation here. Mm-mm. 
When Hagrid asks her what side she has it on, the Bobaton's headmistress rises, says that it's chilly, and Harry notices that her voice is much colder than the weather. Oh, shit. Hagrid is, of course, completely oblivious to her tone and tries to stop her from leaving, saying he's never met another one before, and she's like, another what, precisely? Yeah, it's a trap! It's a trap! <laughs> don't answer! Don't answer! Don't answer! But, of course, he answers and oh. says he's never met another half-giant. Oh, Hagrid. She's livid and callously says that she has big bones. What? A giant? I have big bones. And storms off. Oh, my stars. I'm just big boned. <laughs> what? Exactly. Hagrid watches as she leaves, sitting on his own for a moment, then gets up and heads towards his cabin. Harry motions for him and Ron to leave, but Ron is just dumbstruck. He asks Harry if he knew about Hagrid being half giant, and when Harry says no, so what? The look on Ron's face tells him that this is another part of the wizarding world that he just doesn't understand. Doesn't matter how many eaves you drop, doesn't matter how much you meddle, sometimes you are just wizard clueless. Sometimes you just don't get it. Ron tells Harry that he'll explain inside, and the two head back to the Great Hall. And none of that happened in the movie. We never even learned that Hagrid was half-giant. Just had the implication with his conversation with Madame Maxime. And in that conversation, she never came across offended. She was a little bit turned on, actually. Yeah, it wasn't not even remotely offended. Mm -mm. They made it more like a romantic moment with beard snacks rather than a dramatic moment. With no beard snacks. With no beard snacks that we know of. Yeah, true. I do also want to point out the double mention of the beetle hanging out on the reindeer statue, because we will be talking more about that later. What? Yes. (laughs) Yup. But back to the book chapter. Harry and Ron go back inside to see Parvati and Padma with a crowd of Bobaton boys. Dermstring boys. Bobaton boys. Dermstring boys. Bobaton. Rabbit. Duck. Rabbit. Duck. Rabbit. Duck. (laughs) Duck. Duck. Fuck. (laughs) Duck, duck, fuck. Duck, duck, fuck. Anyway, Bobaton boys. Dermstring boys. Anyway, a crowd of boys and Hermione and Victor back on the dance floor. They find a seat as far away from the dance floor as they can get. And Ron tries to tell Harry how giants are viewed and that he thought Hagrid had just gotten hit by a bad engorgement charm when he was a kid or something. Is that a thing? Like, is that a thing that can happen? Maybe. That feels like a weird thing to assume. Right. (laughs) But it is Ron. Point. And he's very not giant-like. I I mean... I mean, yes, he's big, but he's so very gentle that I couldn't imagine... People being like, oh, that's a giant right there. Like, he's just a big dude. I guess so. I don't know. But Harry wants to know why it would matter if Hagrid's mom was a giantess. And Ron explains that giants are vicious and just enjoy killing. Though anyone who knows Hagrid won't care of that because they know he isn't dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like I said, he doesn't come across like a vicious love-killing giant. I mean, obviously the only thing of Hagrid's that is murderous is his pets. And that's not his fault. It kind of is. 
Yeah, it's entirely his fault. Never mind. <laughs> but Ron explains that there are no more giants in Britain because they're dying out and Oros killed a lot of them. He says that there are supposedly still some hiding in the mountains abroad, though. Harry says that if Hagrid is half giant, then Madame Maxie definitely is. Big bones? Who does she think she's fooling? <laughs> That's one big woman. That's one big woman. Oh my God, Seamus. <laughs> Harry tries to ignore Cedric and Cho, discussing giants with Ron for the rest of the ball. At midnight, the weird sisters end the music and everyone heads towards the entrance hall. When they reach the hall, Harry sees Victor and Hermione. She says goodnight to Crumb and gives Ron an icy look before brushing past them. They turn to follow her to the dormitory, but Cedric calls for Harry to stop. He catches up to them and waits for Ron to leave before bringing up the golden egg. We will get to a part that's similar to this, but it falls in next week's episode. Yeah, so we'll talk about that then. But Harry tells him that his egg wails loudly when he opens his, too. And Cedric says that he should think about it in a hot bath. He tells Harry to use the prefect's bathroom on the fifth floor, the fourth door to the left of the statue of Boris the Bewildered. Which was our trivia question. Yep. Cedric grins at Harry and says that he has to go and say goodnight before he rushes off. Harry returns to the Gryffindor Tower alone, pondering the very odd conversation he just had with Cedric and the advice that he gave him. Seriously, was he like saying I smell or, like, or what? Like, take a bath? What? Jeez, that's pretty rude. Damn. The fat lady and her friend Violet are asleep in her portrait and Harry has to shout the password at them to get in and they just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, come on in. <laughs> when he enters the common room, he sees Ron and Hermione, 10 feet apart, screaming at one another. The fat lady and her friend Violet. Are we? I'm not judging. Good anyway. for them. Good for them. <laughs> the movie has the end of the ball set up a bit differently, though it ultimately ends in a similar place. The scene cuts to the end of the night with only a small group of people still on the dance floor and some just milling around in the entryway. Inexplicably, there are also some couples slow dancing in the entryway for no damn reason other than to look awkward as fuck. I mean, I'm pretty sure by that point the music had stopped and they're just dancing to the music in their head. That's weirder. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot weirder. I don't judge. Anyway, Ron is being a real prick here. Like, more than the rose bushes in the rose garden prick. Like, a real prick. A real That's prick. That's a little prick. This mm -hmm. is a big prick. He's being a big old prick. He's talking down to Hermione and trying to explain away the reason Victor asked her to the ball as only having nefarious undertones. I mean, the man can't even read. Right? Just saying. And Hermione is losing her collective shit. Understandably. I mean, he's being a real prick. Yes, I would be too. Dude. Ron tries to play it cool, but it seems to be inherently apparent to everyone but himself that he's jealous. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> While yes, it is pretty squicky to me that he chose a 14-year-old out of all the 16 and 17-year-old females around him, I don't really feel that he was being lecherous about it. Like, if he wanted to take advantage of a younger girl, all he had to do was turn around at any given moment and play Tinker Tailor to find a very willing participant. Yeah. 
He liked her because she was different, and that is the same reason Ron hadn't even noticed her to be a girl before all this Yule Ball bullshit. I do want to point out that I'm pretty sure Hermione is 15, because her birthday is in September. Yeah. So I think she's 14 when the year starts and then immediately turns 15. For some reason, it's still weird to me, but... And girls mature faster than boys. (sighs) Mostly. She's still underage. By all technicalities. I'm moving on. Probably wait. Yeah. Balling Hermione is hurling some legit truth bombs at Ron in regards to his asinine assumptions that she would just be there pining away while Ron got his shit together, which, of course, flusters the redhead into gaslighting her by saying that she has completely missed the point. Except for the part where she totally hasn't, and everyone knows it. Everyone. Oh my god, everyone knows it. Everyone reading the book, everyone watching the movie, everyone. All of the portraits. All of the, oh my god, how pissed off must those portraits be at that point? Seriously, dude, shut up. Like, come on, guy. Oh. Enter the king of awkwardly timed entrances, (laughs) which would have made more sense had they not deleted the scene with Snape and Karkaroff. Harry walks up from nowhere and into the lion's den as Hermione rounds on him to ask where he's been. And had we seen that scene with him walking around outside and witnessing the whole thing between Snape and Karkaroff, Mm -hmm. we would have known where he has been. Whereas this is just like he appears. He was just off by himself. We don't know why. Exactly. Bothers me. Don't like it. Anyway, what were you saying? He had to pee. (laughs) Could be. (laughs) Anyway, he stammers for a hot second before Hermione has decidedly had enough of both of their shit and tells them to fuck off to bed. She was a little bit bossy in that moment. She was. I really... I didn't like Hermione in this scene. But I got it. But I totally got yeah. it. I did not blame her. Sorry. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I have been in that situation where I'm mad about one thing and somebody else chooses the wrong moment to enter. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then I turn into a praying mantis and I bite their head off. I'm still waiting for my head to grow back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically from the book. Mm-hmm. Though the movie actually gave us more and slightly different details of their argument which is shocking it's not usually the movie that gives you more right because the book just let us know that they were fighting and clued us into the end of it Mm -hmm. Hermione's yelling at Ron to ask her to the ball first and not as a last resort if he doesn't like it Ron has nothing to say back and fuming she heads upstairs to the girls dormitory which is also different because they were still in the entrance hall in the movie not the common room Yeah, then Ron looks at Harry dumbfounded and says that she missed the point entirely. And Harry doesn't say anything because he likes being friends with Ron again. But secretly, he's like, um, Hermione got the point much better than you. Because like we said, everybody knew that. Even Harry, and he's kind of clueless. Facts. And this is where the book chapter ends. And it's the movie section that actually goes on a bit further. This is weird. I don't know Mm -hmm. what to do right now. Confusion. (laughs) With her back to them, Hermione wipes away a tear. And when she hears Ron declare that they get scary when they get older, which 
undoubtedly is something he'd heard his dad or one of his brothers say in regards to Molly at some point. Probably. Mm -hmm. She turns and tells him that he's spoiled everything. Which he kind of has. Yeah. I mean, it sucks that she let him. Yeah. Because it seemed like she had a really nice night up until that point with just like one little tiff with him and then like shit at the end. Mm -hmm. But like, girl, walk away. Yeah. If she would have just stayed away when she walked away earlier Mm -hmm. and just, you know what? Said, fuck him. I'm going to go have a good time with my boy who can't read and we going to have a good time. Fuck Ron. Fuck Ron. But not literally. No. Just figuratively. Maybe later. (laughs) We'll see how things go. Anyway. Anyway, the two boys hurry up the stairs and Hermione sits, sobs, and makes the terrible decision to take off her shoes. My honey, sweetie, baby girl, you have about 78,000 steps to go before you get to your dorm and you are going to feel every single one of them on that stone floor. There's only 142 staircases, so I don't know that that would equal 78,000. You don't know that it doesn't. I suppose it could. It's a lot of fucking steps. It's a lot of fucking steps. It's my point. The scene then cuts back to the last few couples on the dance floor, focusing on Neville and Ginny being pretty adorable in that, you know, middle school dance kind of way. Which was definitely adorable, but again, not how it was in the book, as Neville kept stepping on her toes while dancing. And there was never any implication of anything remotely romantic between Neville and Ginny in the books. Yeah. But then the camera focuses on Hagrid and Madame Maxime, who has to shift Hagrid's wandering hand to keep him from copping a feel. Which also did not happen in the book, as by that point, she wasn't speaking to him since he accused her of being a half-giant. Oh my stars, how dare you! I am big boned! I have never! Ugh! I do declare you are an asshole, sir. (laughs) But we had laughs, tears, tons of hormones, and some chaperones with their work cut out for them, all wrapped up in formal wear. All in all, a successfully typical school dance. And now we are at the end of the movie section. Which will bring us to the new and returning actors section, where we can finally talk about Shafali Chowdhury as Parvati Patel. I thought she was adorable. She was incredibly adorable. She didn't do a ton. I mean, she got to wave and smile and the whole like dancing. She was just, like, take my waist. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that was the last section, but it all sort of led together. And when she was just like arm leg. Yeah. I'm yours. I'm yours. <laughs> yeah, it was cute. She was, she was good. I really wish we could have seen more of her because we did in the books. But yeah, I really wish that we could have seen interaction between her and lavender yeah we missed that in prisoner of azkaban we missed it always <laughs> they, yeah no they never showed them as besties yeah and that's just i really liked that friendship i don't mm-hmm. know why but i wish we could have seen that but she did a great job with what they gave her right i gotta say but when you talk about pravati you gotta talk about padma <laughs> which brings us to afshan azad who played her twin sister I'm not going to lie. I am a little disappointed they weren't actual twins. Especially since they tried to bring in the twin tandem talking in the previous sections. Yeah. They also specify in the books that the two are identical. Yeah. Because Harry was asking if 
brothers, siblings usually end up in the same house, thinking of all of the Weasleys. Mm -hmm. And Hermione points out that Parvati's twin sister is in Ravenclaw, and they're identical. Yeah. So obviously, for the movie, they made their houses identical, not their faces. Apparently. (laughs) But I also thought she was adorable. They were both beautiful girls. Oh, my God. They're gorgeous now. Oh, my goodness. Holy Lord, they are beautiful. But no, I thought she did great just looking like so pissed off at Ron and just. Oh, yeah. She embodied it. You could feel her frustration with the the way that she looked at Ron in his robes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dashing. And then when she was sitting in the chair with her arms crossed, just like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. And then when she's like, are we going to dance or what? And he just goes, no. And she's just like, oh, fuck you then, dude. But I thought that as an actress, she Hmm. did a really good job portraying that frustration and the, I got dragged along to this. I'm not having a good time. I have put in my time. (laughs) I'm going. I didn't even get to go with the famous one. I got stuck with his sidekick. Honestly, Jesus. I would have rather gone with Longbottom at this point. (laughs) At least he dances. And apparently well in the movie, though not in the book. But you know what? I think she would have taken bad dancing over none. (laughs) There is that. (laughs) But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think she did wonderful. I think they both did. Mm -hmm. I wish that they could have had a little bit more of a role throughout the films in general. Definitely. Like, we'll see them later on, but not nearly in the capacity they should have been. So, I also thought it would be fun to talk about the people who were in the band that needed no introduction. A.K.A. the Wired Sisters. (laughs) The Weird Sisters. First off, on vocals, we had Jarvis Cocker of the band Pulp as Myron Wagtail. And let me say, half of the fun of this band is the names. Yes. (laughs) We don't really have a ton to say about them individually. Yeah. We just really wanted to say these names. Yeah. I am a huge fan of all of these bands. And it was really cool to see them all come together. Yeah. We also had Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead as Curly Duke, who was on lead guitar. <laughs> Curly Duke. That's Curly Duke. Fun. Jason Buckle of All Seeing Eye as Heathcote Barbary on rhythm guitar. Steve Mackey, also of Pulp, as Donahan Tremlett on bass. That's a name, man. That is a name. <laughs> Steve Clayton of Add N to X as Gideon Crumb. See, I like that name. That just sounds... It's great. That's a great name. He played the keyboards and the bagpipes. Ooh, multi-talented. Mm, double talent right there. Phil Selway of Radiohead as Orsino Thrustin. Orsino Thrustin? Yeah, I've seen you Thrustin. <laughs> and he's the drummer. And, and the drummers get the chicks. That's just how it yeah. goes. But I love all of these artists. They are so great. It was fun to see them all together, Mm -hmm. even if they didn't actually really include the scene. Yeah. Fun fact, you know, the band was originally supposed to be played by Franz Ferdinand. Oh, really? Yeah. And then they just brought a mishmash together instead? Yeah. I forget why it all happened. I think it was filming complications or whatnot. But yeah, it was. That's fun. And it's so funny because it would have been a totally different. Completely. (laughs) Setup then. But I love the way it did work out. Yeah. That works That's out fun. nicely. Mm-hmm. Cool names. <laughs> cool music. Myron Wagtail. Orsino Thrustin. <laughs> this will bring us to our Potter pondering, which is 
How do you feel about the way the movie handled the conversation between Hagrid and Maxime about being half-giant from this chapter of the book? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. Or, if you want the chance to hear your own voice on an episode, you can call our new phone number, 216-526-6792, and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. We really look forward to hearing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Savion Powers. Savion writes, I'm a Ravenclaw. My wand is black walnut with a dragon heartstring core, ten and three quarters inches. My Patronus is a red squirrel. I hated Harry Potter before I read it, but... Then I was at camp at nine years old, and my counselor read the first chapter to me, and I was hooked. When Deathly Hollows came out, I waited with my mom till midnight. Now, I'm almost 30. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Savion. Mm-hmm. I know I told you this over email, but I'm so sorry that we didn't get your Sorting Hat story in sooner. I'm just going to pretend like we delayed it deliberately so it dropped near your birthday, which is August 1st. So, happy birthday! Welcome to your 30s! Totally on purpose. Totally. Totally. Happy birthday, Savion. Thank you so much for your Sorting Hat story. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. You can also message it to us over social media, since apparently I sometimes forget emails come through. Again, I'm so sorry, Savion. It's all Ellen's fault. It totally was all my fault. Because I'm kind of an idiot, so. It's okay. We still love you, Ellen. I mean, I do. I can't speak for Savion. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this week's trivia question is, What does Ron joke should be the name of Hermione's goblin cause? We want both the name and the acronym. The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word, hashtag poor ickle goblins, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 24, Rita Skeeter's Scoop, and the not-really-corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.